Good morning. I understand that when someone has this uh, opportunity that this should not be taken lightly. This is God's word, a God's truth, and it needs to be uh, carefully and thoughtfully declared. So I would ask you to be like those in the New Testament who were discerning, and after Paul had preached, they went home and they looked at the Scriptures to consider whether or not what was preached was true or not. Hopefully I will fade into the background, and God's Word will be what you remember and what you see and what you think about when you are finished this morning. This is part of our worship. We think of what we sang as worship, but... Part of a worship service is listening to God speak. And so, my desire would be that the Holy Spirit would speak through me, that I would just be an instrument, uh, a voice that you might hear God's Word and respond to the Holy Spirit's work in your individual lives. We've already read the passage of Scripture that we're going to consider this morning, and there are three main points in this. There are several slides but there are only three points. We're going to talk about, first of all, some of the ifs in this passage, and then some of the thens, and then the, the statement from God about who His Son is, and what His Son did, and who His Son will be, um, and is eternally. I want to remind you of some things that are true of this letter to the Philippians that if perhaps this is your first time here and so you haven't been introduced to some of the, the overarching or reasons that this letter was written to the church in Philippi, Paul, as you, many of you know, was a prisoner in Rome when he wrote this letter. And so he's writing as a prisoner to a church that he loves dearly in the city of Philippi. And there are some things in your outline for you to fill in and in... Uh, Remembrance of Pastor Nick's uh, approach, I've decided that they all begin with the letter G, so that, that's just in honor and deference to Pastor Nick, who likes that. Actually, Warren Wiersbe beat Nick to the punch. That's what Warren Wiersbe does all of the time as well. So his purpose in writing, first of all, it was an expression of gratitude to the Philippian church, thanking them for all of the good things that they had done for him to help him in his ministry. He counted them as one of the, the special churches. You know, he, he wrote letters to the church in Corinth, and uh, oftentimes those words had to be a little more harsh, a little more direct and to the point about some of the failings and weaknesses in their congregation. But in this case, Paul was very appreciative and was expressing gratitude to the church in Philippi. Secondly, he wanted to emphasize the gospel, and that shouldn't come as a surprise because that was Paul's intent in all of his letters, to declare the gospel. In Philippians 1.27, he encourages them to contend as one man for the uh, faith of the gospel. Thirdly, it was to provide spiritual guidance regarding their new life in Christ Jesus. Life that was not under law, but now under grace. And, and this oneness... Um, that they experienced 
was mentioned in chapter 1 as well. In chapter 1, verse, verses 3 through 5, Paul said, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So they understand that their new life is by God's grace based on the gospel that has been proclaimed. And also in chapter 1, verse 27, just by way of reminder, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So we're going to talk a little bit about the oneness and the lowliness and the helpfulness that that refers to. Fourthly, as a purpose in writing, it was to fill their minds with a spirit of gladness and joy. And we've been reminded that multiple times in this epistle, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. Lately, because I lost my job, lost, in quote marks, lost my job, people, when they hear that, contractors are coming over, Cindy's delighted because we're getting some projects done that I've neglected for several years. Let's just leave it at several years. Um, you can get, her the, get the, specific, the, the, yeah, the specifics from Cindy about that. But I've told some of these contractors, and actually discovered one of them was a believer as a result, that I was recently laid off from my, from my job. And the immediate reaction is a C word. Do you know what the C word is that they, they typically say to me? My condolences. Oh, my, I'm so sad for you. And I say, no, 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 wrong C word. Wrong C word. You should be saying congratulations. Because now I have so many new opportunities before me that I didn't have when I was confined to an office. God is good. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. I know what it's like to be employed, and I know what it's like to be unemployed. And God provides in all circumstances. Paul, by the way, said that. I'm just paraphrasing him. And fifthly, to prevail upon the Philippians' spirit-wrought goodness to welcome Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is only mentioned in the book of Philippians, and he was a messenger that was sent to help Paul, and Paul is sending him back, and he's saying to the church, he did a great job. Welcome him back warmly. Encourage him and thank him for his ministry in the gospel. So let's talk a little bit about what it means when something is like something else. In, in the bulletin, I say disciples like Christ. I specifically use the word like instead of the word of. There are churches that are called the disciples of Christ. I'm not casting any aspersions on any other denomination, but I, I just want to emphasize the word like in today's message. Being like something, being like-minded, um, it caused me to think of Sesame Street. When our children were young, you know, Sesame Street's been on for a really long time, I remembered a song that said, one of these things is not like the others. Can you figure out what it is? So Daniel, can you bring, it, bring up the picture? One of these things is not like the others. Can you tell me which one it is? Well, one of them has fur and the others have feathers. Yes, you can, you can respond. That's okay. I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong. Yes, one of them is a mammal and the other is a... The others are 
They're birds. Okay, this is not tough, folks. I picked, I picked an easy picture on purpose. Okay, we categorize things. So I go in the refrigerator and I know where the fruit is and I know where the vegetables are. And, and, and we even categorize meat. In fact, unknown meat, we say it tastes like chicken because we want to help somebody understand what something is like, right? That's similar to. Um, early in our marriage, Cindy would say to me, okay, Clyde. Now, my name's not Clyde, okay? My name is Wayne. But she was saying that I was like Clyde, who was my father, yes. And so I exhibit certain behaviors that unfortunately sometimes I see in my own son, okay? Because he's, and maybe his wife says, no, okay, Wayne, you know, I don't know. She's probably, she's probably not like that. And Cindy was very right to be pointing out these things. I don't want you to get the idea that Cindy was a bad wife. She was helping me see my behavior and what I was like. So when it comes to today's text, we're presented with four ifs and then four thens, followed by a very familiar passage that talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to to save those that were lost. He came as a servant. And this description of the servant is transformed in a few verses to someone who is high and mighty and lifted up. And that every knee is bowing before, and every name and every tongue is proclaiming that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, there's one other concept I want to introduce us to before we get into the actual body of this text. And that has to do with three unwords. There are three unwords. The first one, and this is this is applicable in many ways in, in our lives. The first one is uniformity. When I went into the Navy and boot camp, and I I walked in there, there were a lot of guys there, and, and, and I only got to know them for a few hours before it was bedtime, and we all had hair. And we were all dressed differently. And the next morning, the first place they took us to was the barber, right? And then they did the shots and all that other stuff. But they took us to the barber, and they cut all our hair out. And we walked in one side of that building with hair, and we walked out the other side of that building with no hair, and we all looked the same. And then they had us get rid of all those cool clothes we were wearing, and they made us wear the same clothes. And then we looked even more the same. That's uniformity. Everybody dressing and looking the same. That's what uniformity is. That's not what we're going to talk about today. The second unword is unanimity. Unanimity. That's complete agreement. That's being unanimous. That means that my opinion is your opinion. My preference is your preference. We're going to be unanimous about all things that Wayne likes and that Wayne approves of. Well, that's not what we're talking about this morning either. Okay, thank goodness. This is not about Wayne and Wayne's preferences and Wayne's uh, ideas about what you know, is good or what's best. And probably many of you are thinking, good, I'm glad that Wayne's not the one that's in charge. And I would agree with you, actually. I'm glad Wayne's not the one in charge as well. The third word that begins with un is unity. This is agreement with a non-competitive, non-combative spirit. 
And this is coming together with a common purpose. And, and by way of illustration, I, I would give you our marriage. Cindy and I are two, and yet we are one. And so when it came to raising our children and disciplining them and training them and prioritizing what they would, would not do, we were one. And when it came to questions about finances and stewardship, it wasn't one of us arguing with the other. It was agreement about what was important to honor God with the treasure that He had granted to us. And it went, when it came to things that were important about life and purpose, we had agreement. We had unity. Now, does that mean that Cindy and I are exactly the same and that we think exactly the same and have the same opinions about everything? Absolutely not. But we understand this basic principle. We are one. And and our kids couldn't even play one of us against the other. Uh, they tried at times. I know you find that so hard to believe that Beth or Matt would do that. But occasionally they would try that, and we were yet one. For the church, this is agreeing that the gospel is preeminent. That God's word is the source for answers and for the instructions of life. And that the work of missions is everybody's responsibility, not just the Guatemala team. It's everyone's responsibility. And in fact, my mission field sometimes is the contractor that's coming in to work on the stuff that needs to be done in our house. That's the mission field. And that's everyone's mission field. So we are to be disciples like Christ, but the goal isn't unity. The result is unity when we have the right focus. We don't want to be just of Christ. We want to be like Christ. Christ. So, um, to be like Christ, you must know Christ. And I want to read a couple of passages of Scripture. I'm only going to read Matt, Matthew 20, 25 through 28, because Mark 10, 42 to 45 is the same thing. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high priests official, their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So let's say you turn me off at this point and you don't listen any further. Get this. Jesus did not come to get served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And if we are to be disciples of Christ, then we need to be like Christ. We don't gather here to be served. We gather here to serve. Both the body, our brothers and sisters, and the Lord. In Luke 19.10, Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus. And I, I mentioned in the base class this morning, if you want a really bad dude, you know, you go to the, the Jewish leaders and the priests and you ask them, so who are the people you really despise? Tax collectors. Instruments of the Roman government that we hate. Oh, and by the way, the worst of the worst is Zacchaeus. He's the chief tax collector. Those are the despicable sinners in our midst. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus and to the crowd, today salvation has come to this house because this man too, Zacchaeus, is a son of Abraham. Why is that? Because he believed in Jesus Christ. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And 1 Peter 2, 4-10, so that we get a sense of the oneness here, I want you to hear this. Jesus is, is identified as a stone, a living stone. As you come to Him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen of God and precious to Him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house, into a royal holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the Scripture it says, See, I lay in a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Folks, that is the significance of the oneness in Christ. And that's what this passage explores. So let's go into that. Let's, let's look at the four ifs. The first of the four ifs, Paul says if four times. Now he doesn't say if as in the case of maybe. Uh, how many of you know a little bit about algebra? Even just a little bit. Yeah, I'm always, it's always a risk when you talk math to you know, a, a wide variety of people. I was accused once in a college class by other college students that my, my means of getting the answer was so very unfair because I used algebra. And I thought, this is a college class. You mean to tell me you got all the way to college and you never took algebra? I couldn't hardly believe it, but I suppose that's possible. Here's algebra in its simplest form. A plus B equals C. So some of you have heard this before. Now if you substitute numbers for A and B, so I'm going to make this really easy so the kids can get it. So remember, A plus B, okay, 1 is A, A is 1, and B is 1, so what's C? 2. That's algebra. That says if A is 1, which it is, because I said it is, and if B is 1, and it is because I said it is, then there is a result. A result that comes from that is 2. That's the sense in which Paul is using the word if. He says if there are certain conditions that are true, then there will be a conclusion that's given. It won't, it's a, it'll be as easy as 1 plus 1 equals 2. This is how easy this is. Certain things, if they are true, then this conclusion is also true, or should be true, in the lives of the listener. So, he starts in verse 2 of Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any... In, or this is verse 1. Yes, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, 
if any, affection and compassion. So the first one, the first if. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. So pause for a second. Is there any encouragement from being united with Christ? Absolutely. You are made alive by the resurrection power of Christ. Once you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and now you are made alive. Once you had a heart of stone, and now you've got a heart of flesh and can receive God's truth. Sin is no longer your master. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You are not under law. You are under grace. You have victory over sin. Forgiveness is available. Before you were dead in your trespasses and sin, separated from God, there was no hope for you apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Do you have encouragement from being united with Christ? Now you have purpose in life. I know why I'm here. Lots of people don't even know why they're here. Don't know why they're on the planet. But in Christ, I know the purpose of my life. I've been adopted. Now, you know, I had a mom and a dad, and, and they took good care of me, but, you know, my father, the devil, he wasn't much of a pop. He, he was kind of a cruel taskmaster. He did all kinds of things that hurt me, and, and he didn't seek the best for me. But the Heavenly Father who loved me and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for my sins, He loved me deeply. And he adopted me. Uh, is there any encouragement in that? I would say yes. And God disciplines me sometimes. I know this may be hard for some of you to believe. I do the bad things. I, you know, fail. I, God tells me to do something. I do something different. You know, maybe not on the scale of Jonah, although, you know, I shouldn't be judging myself against Jonah, should I? should be judging myself against the truth of God's Word. The bottom line being that God disciplines me. I should be encouraged by that union and that relationship with Christ. And finally, I love what it says in 1 John where he gives evidences about belief. And one of them is you can understand God's Word. When I open God's Word, it makes all the sense in the world to me. And so I take encouragement from being united with Christ. And I would encourage you as a believer, be encouraged. And this isn't an if-maybe this is an if you have, and if you are in Christ, you have these things. Number two, if you have any comfort or consolation or encouragement or exhortation from His love. That's the, uh, the word consolation is paramuthion. I put some of these, I think I put the Greek words in, in the bulletin just so you could have them. There, I know sometimes, you know, you hear those words and some of you are trying to write them down and you know, that's the way I am. I'm trying to figure out how to phonetically sound them out. That word means exhortation, encouragement. And, and, the, and the love that's expressed there is the agape love, the deep love of God. Do you have any comfort from His love? Let me, let me give you three reasons why you should have comfort from His love. Number one, it was sacrificial love. He died for you. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That was sacrificial love. We can't even begin to scratch the surface of everything that that means in this short time that we have together. But understand do you have comfort from His love? Understand it was sacrificial love. Number two, 
It was expansive love. It is wider and longer and higher and deeper than any other love you have ever experienced. Now, I've experienced some great love from a mom and a dad and from a wife and from kids and from delightful grandchildren who are, by the way, the the finest creatures on the face of the planet. They really are. They're just wonderful. But they're sinners, I know that. It's expansive love. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16-19. to 19. I pray out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long And how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God's love is sacrificial. God's love is expansive. But God's love is also endless. Endless love. Ephesians 2, 6-8. through And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, And by the way, we're created for good works, is what verse 10 says. So do you get this? Do you have comfort? Do you have any comfort from His love? This sacrificial, expansive, endless love? And the answer should be yes. If you're a believer, you should be comforted by His love. It's not a if, maybe, you should be. You should be. Uh, Maybe you just haven't understood the depth of His love. Maybe you haven't dug deeply into the Scriptures to appreciate the depth of His love. The third if. If any fellowship with the Spirit, and if any koinonia with the Spirit, well, is, is that a good thing? Is that an if statement that's kind of a positive thing? Fellowship with the Spirit? Well, <laughs> let me remind you of some things where that is a great thing. He lives in you. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are the temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? That that should actually motivate us on a number of fronts, including how we take care of our temples. My doctor and my wife both suggest certain things that I... Actually, my doctor is more strongly than suggest. I think the last time I saw him, which wasn't that long ago, he strongly suggested at least six times, because I suspect he thought I wasn't listening the first five, that I needed to lose some weight and exercise more. And how did he know that I needed to exercise more? Well, he looked at the results from the blood work. You know, he could see that I'd slid on certain uh, factors, certain things that get counted. And he also weighed me, uh, the, the audacity of the man. Actually, his nurse did that and she recorded it for him and he saw me sliding in that area as well in the wrong direction i might add but he lives in me 
And He gives life. 2 Corinthians 3.6 He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Do you have fellowship with the Spirit? Then you have life. A new life. He also gives freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know the lists that we like to create about the do's and the don'ts? You know, they, they had to deal with those at, at Corinth as well, in Galatia. In fact, Paul to the church in Galatia said, oh, you've lost your, for, your, your first love. You're going back to the lists. Stick with the list from the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. What else does the Spirit do? He makes it possible for us to go to the Father and say, Dad! Dear Dad, I need help. Because you are sons, Galatians 4.6, God sent the Spirit of His Son to our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. In fact, Jesus encouraged His disciples. He said, this is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. Do you have some encouragement and fellowship with the Spirit? Then all of those things are yours. In fact, that's not all. Galatians 5.18 If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. I'm not under the law. The law is no longer my taskmaster. Talk about freedom. Talk about a reason to rejoice. I no longer have to live by the letter of the law. That doesn't mean that I won't be concerned about my behavior, my words, my thoughts. But it means that I'm no longer being judged by God Almighty based on those things. Because He sees me through the righteousness that I've been clothed with from Christ Jesus based on His shed blood. And He gives me fruit that's evidence that God is at work in my life. If I have fellowship with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there are no law. So I ask you, church, do you have any fellowship with the Spirit? Then that's a good thing. There are wonderful blessings that are associated with having fellowship with the Spirit. And finally, if any tenderness and compassion. If you have tenderness and compassion, then you've been transformed. Because naturally, everybody's selfish. I I watch our grandchildren as they're growing up and as they're learning to, shall we call it, share. Um, I think sharing might be too strong of a word for the ways that they work. You know, they, they look for opportunities to get, you know, if the other person's holding it, now it's an object of desire. Before that, it had, there was no interest whatsoever in this object that was sitting someplace. But all of a sudden now it has great value because somebody else is holding it. And they'll hover and they'll wait until the object gets put down so that they can scoop it up. And then you know what? Quickly they lose their interest in that thing that they've grabbed. We get transformed. Our attitudes become different. We now do want to share. One of the joys that adults and parents should have and grandparents is giving and having tenderness and compassion to others as mature people. If any tenderness and compassion, then you need to recognize that in the Scripture it says you're not just a living stone part of a structure, but you're part of a body. You're part of the body of Christ. 
And every part of the body should be doing its work. And so with tenderness and compassion, when I hear that somebody is struggling, you know, that somebody has physical problems or financial problems or marital problems or other issues that are just big beyond any human comprehension, the result should be tenderness and compassion. And so, let's read it all together now. And you don't have to read out loud, but I want to read this whole section together. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. So how many of you would say that, yes, we have encouragement if we're united with Christ? A couple of you agree. Okay, good. If any comfort from His love. Do you have any comfort from His love? Okay, a few more might be comforted by His love. If any fellowship with the Spirit. If you're a believer, you have fellowship with the Spirit. So everybody that's a member here who's given their testimony should be able to raise their hand say, yes, I have fellowship with the Spirit. If any tenderness and compassion, well, God is transforming you and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and kindness and all those other things. And so you will have those things evident in your life and you should thank God for that because that's the work of His Holy Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So you have lots of things that are ifs, you know, the A, Bs, that result in a C in your life. The ifs result in some thens. So now we're going to do the thens. Because of the ifs that are true, there will be some thens that also follow. And here's what Paul says, beginning in verse 2. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. So Now you can see that word like there, at least in the translation that I'm using. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So he says there are three things that I want you to get. As a result of the reality of your condition, there will be some um, conclusions that are just given. These are truths that happen. Number one is oneness. Oneness. That's the same mind, the same love. Submission out of love replaces submission out of fear. Now some might uh, say, okay, yeah, I get that. We've got the same Father. We're part of the same body. We're all built together as the same structure. So, okay, that's part of unity. But the next part is, in verse 3, lowliness of mind. And that means thinking of others. Assuming the best about others. Do you always assume the best about somebody else? Well, I don't. Sometimes somebody says something and I assume the worst. Or they do something and I assume the worst. I, I assume I have all the answers and I can perceive their motives and all of the things that might have been factors in the decisions that they made. It's being lowly of mind means being gracious in thinking and in words. Considering others more important than self. Now, um, some of that might cause us to say, well, you know, these things that you're saying, Paul, they don't seem very practical. There, there are some problems with what you're suggesting, Paul. 
that uh, we think are hurdles about this. So aren't there self-absorbed, selfish Christians who will take advantage of this? Oh my goodness. And, and so as a result, we need to tailor how we treat them based on the fact that they might take advantage of us. Well, keep in mind, this is a general principle. This does not mean that the church ignores sin. Sin will and needs to be disciplined, needs to be identified and disciplined within the body. But regarding somebody as more important does, mean, does not mean that everyone is wiser, abler, nobler than you. Okay? I know that our grandchildren are not necessarily wiser than their parents or nobler than their parents. But that doesn't change the fact that we are going to treat them in high regard. So when we're feeding them, we make sure they get good food. We make sure that if food is lacking, they get food and we don't get food. That's what it means to be thinking in a lowly sense of mind, that someone else's needs are more important and that we're going to think carefully about that. It's helpfulness. It's looking to others' interests. And that's verse 4. All of these things should be evidences of the conditions that we already examined. The conclusion should be, I will have oneness of mind with my brothers and sisters. I will have lowliness of mind as I relate with other members of this body and with others in the community. And it also means that I will be helpful. When I see a need that needs to be met, I will go to meet that need. And in fact, we all know John 3.16, but some of us don't know 1 John 3.16, and I'd like to read that for you. That's on the next slide. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. Okay, so that's a statement of fact. We know what love is. Sacrificial love, expansive love, endless love. We know what love is because Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and see his, sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And so... Fellow believers, because of all those conditions, those if statements, we now have some conclusions. We will behave like the one who saved us. We will serve like the one who served us. We will give sacrificially like the one who gave sacrificially for us. And how is it really possible to be united, to be one? Because we do have differences. We, we all have opinions. We have preferences. Well, here's how it's possible. When we are humble, when we are helpful, and when we are heaven-focused. That's how we can be united. When we are humble, when we are helpful, and we, when we are heaven-focused. There's one more section to this passage. It's the kenosis section. Kenosis means emptied himself. So what does God mean when it says that Jesus emptied himself, and what does it not mean? First of all, it's clear from all of Scripture that being emptied, 
does not mean that he became less than God. He was God. He declared himself as God multiple times. In fact, in John chapter 14, and we mentioned this in the class this morning, the disciples said, show us the Father and that will suffice us. And Jesus said, have I been so long a time with you that you have not known me? I and the Father are one. When he spoke to the religious leaders of his day, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Again, declaring that he is God. He never set aside his godliness. He emptied himself of the following. He emptied himself of complete separation from sin. He allowed my sin and your sin to be placed on him. And then he cried in anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He gave up his riches. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He was always borrowing. Do you realize that the Lord of the universe, the creator of everything, borrowed a place in Bethlehem, borrowed a table in a room, borrowed a donkey, and borrowed a tomb. He was always borrowing. He emptied himself of all that was in heaven, of everything that surrounded him. He gave up heavenly glory. The angels bowed and worshipped him. He set that all aside to come and actually spend time with, who did, with people who did not adore him, who did not worship him. He gave up independent authority, exercise of authority to become a servant. He told the Father, not my will, but your will be done. He no longer exercised all the authority that was his. I like what Wust says. The only person in the world who had the right to assert his rights waived them. Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted but without sin. And he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. But he, he took all the rights and privileges and rank and he set them aside to become a servant for you and for me. He emptied himself on the cross. And so, what should we conclude? I want to read verses 5-11. through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. So we've looked at the ifs, and we've looked at the thens, and now Paul wraps it all up. And he says, Who being in very nature God, this is Christ Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We are to be like Christ. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. The, the, the one that wants to be greatest among you, you should become the servant. As I've washed your feet, you wash each other's feet. His message was the same. Don't be like the Gentiles who like to lord it over everybody. You be the servant example. You be like me. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But here's a really glorious passage. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And someday, because he's so good, we get to be there for that day. If you've put your faith in Christ Jesus, who paid for your sins, you know, the worship here is often good. And, and, and I don't mean that in a negative way. But the worship there will be grand. It will be marvelous. And there will be the one we adore in person there listening to our praise. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So here's what I want you to do, church. And, and hopefully it's not what I want you to do. Think about this as we get ready to sing the final number. Your focus should not be on unity. Now I know that sounds really bad. Don't worry about unity. Your focus should be on Christ and the Gospel. Your focus should be on all the good things, all the ifs that God has already done. Because there will be some thens that result from those ifs. Keep in mind, if you're here and you've never by faith accepted Christ, mechanical obedience does not please God. He says all of our righteousnesses, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. They stink. But by the grace of God, He sent His Son, born of a virgin, who lived a perfect sinless life, willingly gave himself as a sacrifice, died on the cross, took my sin and the sin of the world, died, was buried, and rose again, victorious over death, that you and I can have forgiveness and a relationship with God. And if you don't have that, then by the Spirit I ask you, Give careful thought to what God says to you today. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 11 sums up the gospel. And he says, this is what's of first importance. That Jesus Christ, this was what was of first importance. That Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will never die. Be like Christ. Focus on that. Unity is the natural result when Christ is the head. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. And we could probably preach several weeks on it, but Lord, thank you for reminding us of all the riches that are in Christ Jesus and the fellowship that is through the Holy Spirit and the tenderness and compassion that are the results of the fruit of the Spirit indwelling us. And Father, then help us to remember that we, as a result, will be one and that we will think more highly of others and that we will serve each other like Your Son served us. Lord, we know we can't do that on our own. And we can only do that by the 
grace that you provide through your Son and by the work of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask you to do that. Father, if there's anyone in this congregation this morning that does not know you, I pray that they would not leave without first having considered and responded to the message this morning. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.